right, before we begin, I want to give you a, a little uh, challenge or assignment, not necessarily challenge, but assignment, not to take home, because if you did, you probably wouldn't do it. But I want you to think this morning of who you know that's the greatest Christian that you know. The greatest Christian. You, no, not necessarily. But not not in the Bible. <laughs> not a biblical person. Someone that actually is human. All right. Have you got, got someone in your mind? All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 20. We've been studying the commands of the Lord. He tells us in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And we've been going through the Gospels and noting the commands that the Lord gave when he was ministering here. We'll begin at verse 20, but we're not going to find our command until we get down to 26 and 27. Matthew 20, 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on the right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. One of the things maybe I'll say now is that this wasn't all about their mom because when we get over to the book of Mark, the same account is given and the mother's not even mentioned. But they're all in it together and they're desiring to uh, be in prominent in the kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, We're able. And he said unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And he's talking about suffering and not water baptism. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. They're hot. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. And here is where we find our commands. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, a command. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Let him be our, is the command. Even as the Son of Man came not to minister unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. When we find that word chief in verse 27, 
It means the first in time, first in place, first in rank. And we know that James and John were sons of thunder. Uh, they were fiery. They were energetic. And they wanted the top positions in the kingdom of Christ. And in pursuing that, they, they uh, included the help of their mother, the feminine plead, and maybe convincing. And as I said, in Mark, it's just the two, James and John, that are mentioned. And so they want the chief place in the kingdom. They're seeking glory. They're seeking promotion. They're seeking honor. They want to be esteemed. They want to ride on both sides of the throne. They want to be next to Christ so people can say, oh, look at those two fellows. Look how close they are to Christ. They must be the second and third most holy people there are. And so they sought affirmation of men, and they were very bold about it. And, and when they come, when she comes, and they come in Mark 10, in verse 21, we have a very interesting question. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? What do you want? What do you want here today in coming to church? What do you want from the Lord? What is it that you're seeking? What do you want? Why are you doing what you're doing? Who are you serving? Who do you want to impress? What's your lifestyle passing on to your children? And they're given the request that her sons could sit on his side. And Jesus tells them that you're pretty ignorant about this. He says in verse 22, but Jesus answered and said, ye know not what ye ask. Greatness in the kingdom we're often very ignorant about. We don't know what we're asking. And he says to them, one of the things you're going to have to realize, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you're going to suffer. You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup? And that was in the garden of Gethsemane, where he said, Father, if it possible, may this cup be taken from me. <coughs> Yet not as I will, but as you will. Are you able to suffer to the degree that I'm going to suffer? And then he's going to go on and tell them about the greatness of, ser of service. Now when the ten heard it, 
they were moved with indignation. Not that they were mad so much that they uh, were asking this. To sit on the right and left. But, but to be so bold and so arrogant to ask it before they could ask it. They wanted the same thing. But these guys beat them to the punch. And how, how arrogant they are. How bold they are. How presumptuous they are. How can you think that you're better than me? What makes you think that you're going to be second and third in the kingdom? A mother was preparing pancakes for her sons, Kevin five and Ryan three. And the boys began to argue over who would get the first one. Not wanting to miss a teachable moment, the mom said, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. But you know what? <laughs> that pretty well describes us. We want to be the prominent one. We want to be first. And it's the nature of our hearts to want recognition. We want people to see what we're doing. We want people to recognize our dedication. And though we'd never say it publicly, we really want an attaboy. We want to be recognized. I think it's very significant, too, here, how Jesus deals with his disciples. It says in verse 24, And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. And so Jesus hears this. He's heard the request. He sees the indignation. And in verse 25, But Jesus called them unto him. Instead of rebuking James and John, Instead of giving the ten a lecture, he said, come over here. There was a teaching moment. We live in a day in the secular world which we live in is consumed with self-glory. I mean, back in, the, back in the 60s and 70s, uh, when I would on occasions, not very often, but on occasions watch football in the professional sports on television, you never saw anybody pounding on their chest and, and uh, patting themselves on the back. You didn't see that. But we live in a day when self-glory and self-esteem and even self-esteem promoted in uh, church material. When the Bible says esteem others better than yourself. Self-promotion and pride. People will say, I'm proud of myself in this. I'm proud to be this. I deserve more than I'm getting. The world's people are centered in materialistic and mammon and self-promotion and self-motivation and build yourself up and get more riches and get more esteem. And it's motivated by pushing yourself And 
actually that's creeping into churches just as it had crept into the heart of James and John. And so the Lord calls them to himself and he needs to have a teaching moment. He needs to challenge their thinking. He's going to, he's going to uh, teach them at this time. Not rebuke them, but teach them. And, and that's a major role of a New Testament church because constantly the thinking of the world is trying to take the membership and you and I individually and, you know, be not transformed, be not conformed to this world, but ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we constantly need the renewing of our mind taking place through the word of God because this world is trying to conform us to its thinking. What is greatness is the topic, topic here. And we're going we're gonna to note uh, three things. Three, first of all, we're going to show, show three ways. I should have put the wrongful first. Three ways that are wrongful of seeking greatness. Three ways that's wrong in trying to seek greatness. Then the second thing I want to look at is, is two ways, two ways to greatness. And then the third thing or example. And so let's look at the, the three ways. The first way is what I would say, I probably should have left room here. The first way is association. I am great in whom I'm associated with. I make friends and influence people, and then I get around people that are influential, and I associate myself with them. A number of years ago, this young Christian asked me if, if uh, what connection I had with a preacher in the Midwest, if I, what connection I had with him, and I said, I don't hardly even know him. And the understanding was, if you weren't associated somehow with this pastor, then you're just not in the in crowd. You need to be associated. And associations will lead to greatness. It's who I hang around, who I run with. Now, what you need to understand, and here I've been in the ministry over 40 years, and I just learned this this week. It was shows you that I probably need to be in the Bible more. But John and James' mother, if you study it out and read all the passages, her name was Salome or Salome, and she's the sister of Mary, Jesus' mother. James and John are cousins to Jesus. So they come to him and say, hey, cuz, let me be, let me and my brother be top in the, in the kingdom. That's who we run with. People think that greatness is who you're associated with. That if I'm going to be great, in the kingdom of God, if I'm going to be great spiritually, it's going to be who I 
hang around with. And many people think that greatness comes through connections. It's who you know. It's not what you know, but it's who you know. That's the way it is in the world, right? And they want to play on Jesus' affections for his mother and It's their ace in the hole. They think they're going to have an in into Jesus' heart. I've known a number of churches where, where the son of the pastor becomes the pastor. Now, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not to say, but I will say this to you very, very clearly, that the pastor is not inherited. It shouldn't be inherited. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And so it could be a son of a pastor who God has made an overseer but just because, just because uh, they're re- related to the former pastor doesn't make them the next in line. Spiritual greatness is not inherited. And so some seek, seek greatness through connections. And then in verse 25, but Jesus called them unto him and said, ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. Exercising dominion. Now that word dominion, it has the idea of being a dictator. It has the idea of being in complete control, lording it over others. To have power, to subject people to you, to subdue, to master, to hold in subjection, to exercise lordship over. And far too often, pastors have become lords over them. A famous name among, quote, independent Baptists, which I, uh, I don't like to associate with that side of independent Baptists, was a guy named Jack Hiles, Hammond, Indiana. Easy believism guy. But when they would have preacher's meetings and multitudes of pastors would go to the preacher's meetings, he would call a deacon up on the stage and show the congregation how faithful his deacons were to him and he would say to the deacon do jumping jacks sit down stand up crow like a chicken and it would show how much authority he had and power in his church and people (laughs) went bananas over that 
it was an abomination. Power to tell people what to do. I know of an independent Baptist that thinks that not only is he pastor to people and and uh, is the preacher over them, but he has the right to come into your home and see what kind of homeschooling you're doing. Well, let me tell you something. The state's not coming into my home, <laughs> and neither is any pastor. There's some things that's not in his business. He's there to pastor the word of God, administer the people. And so sometimes greatness is seen in how much power you have over people. And there are a group of people who just want to be told what to do. Because you see, it's simple to be told what to do. It's rather hard when you get before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because if you do what you're told to do, then you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's, and you're getting along the line to becoming a great Christian. But he said, that's what the Gentiles do. They hold dominion over their people. And then he uses another word here. He said, he said uh, exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. And that word authority is this word exousia, but it seems, it, instead of talking about power, it seems more, uh, more of a, a personality. Personality power, or let's say they have a charismatic, a charismatic uh, persona, and I'm not talking about charismatic churches, but I talk about he's he's a man of influence. He's got he's a charismatic person. That that he makes friends and influences people. That that in what he does, he's very he's very energetic about it, and he. And he can appeal to people, and people are drawn to him, and he's very charismatic, just as Jim Jones in, 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 uh, in South America was charismatic to a place that he could get people to drink poison Kool-Aid. Charismatic people. Back in the uh, 1970s, there was an independent Baptist at a church that we could receive baptisms from, that they a church that uh, we would be willing to join. And he pastored in Houston. His name was Nick Michaelinus. He's been long dead. He had over 500 members and ran four or five buses. He had a great personality. But when he died, the church split four ways. And back in the 1990s, I attended a church, and here's a church that seats like 500 people, and on a Wednesday night, there were 20 people there. That they were men of, of a charismatic nature, greatness. They could draw people around them. People loved to go and hear them preach. They loved to go and, and uh, experience his charisma. 
But he says to them, in verse 26, it shall not be so among you. It's not being Lord over God's heritage. Peter said, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And so he says, it's not going to be that way. If you're looking for greatness, it's not going to be through holding dominance over your people, being charismatic in your nature. It's not going to be, greatness is not going to come through who you know. But, this will not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, here it is, here's how greatness comes. Let him be your minister, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. And that let him be is a command. Now, one of, one of the things I want to say here before we look at these words here, servant and minister, it's okay to want to be Spiritually, spiritually great. Look what he says here. And who shall will be chief among you? Who shall will be great among you? He, he said, don't even attempt that, but he said, whosoever, there's a possibility, whoever wants to be great, that's, a, that's not a bad thing when it's shot in the right way. There's nothing worldly about spiritual greatness. We're not to seek for secular kind of greatness in the model after the philosophy of the world. But he said this thing of the world standard should not be so among you. You don't, and I'm telling you, this is the way it's happening. You don't run a church like a business that all of them, a large percentage of them are. They're well-oiled machines hitting on every cylinder, chugging right along, and not knowing anything about the will of God and which way he wants them to go. It's not to be mimicked. The church is not to mimic the world and how they have success. And so it's not wrong to want to be great. In fact, Revelation says, Behold, I come quickly, and my, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. And so the Lord's bringing some rewards, and we ought to desire some rewards, but it's going to, rewards are going to come 
according to the dictates of God, according to his pattern, the path that he wants you to stand, the path that he's ordained. And I, and I hope you would want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But as I said, uh, it's only going to come through the path that the Lord has ordained. And we have the path laying right in front of us. Service. Greatness in service. Now look at these words here. Verse 26, the last part. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. A servant. An attendant. Someone that waits on others. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. very <laughs> this is a very convicting verse when we study the words they're uh, debating in first Corinthians about who's the greatest I was saved by underneath Apollos ministry I underneath Cephas ministry there in verse 22 I under Paul's ministry and there was even rather saying well I beat y'all I said underneath Christ's ministry. And he says in chapter 4 and verse 1, let a man so account of us. If you're going to think about us, what you think of us, as of the ministers of Christ, I want you to think about me as a minister of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's a very interesting word, the ministers of Christ. Maybe you've seen some old movies, but the Romans not only had sailing ships, but they had ships that had three layers below deck that had oars coming out, oar, and, they, and they would go along with a bunch of uh, slaves, prisoners, in the bottom of the ship. This word refers to the very bottom, the third row. It's like an under rower. He's under there, the prisoner's under there, and, he, and he's rowing, and, and that's his job. <laughs> all day long, all day long he's rowing. But at the front of the, the, uh, of the prisoners, as they're all facing one way, there's an officer, and the officer, he, he's, either, he's either pounding out a cadence, or he's saying, row. Row, 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 row. And he keeps them in order, and he keeps them going. And here's what Paul is saying. I am nobody. I'm somebody through Christ, but I'm here rowing for the Lord, and I'm listening for his command. Row, 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 row. Greatness. Now listen to me. Greatness is listening for the voice of God 
and rowing when he says row. It's not about Jack Howe's type of people. It's not about Nick Michaelinus type of people. It's about the Lord. Row, row, row. Because when I'm following him, <laughs> I'm in the line of greatness. I'm in the will of God. I'm doing what he wants. And then that word back there in Matthew, the minister, but then he uses the word servant. That word servant has kind of been let down upon us in an easy fashion. It's from the word doulos. And when you boil it down, it's a slave. A slave seeking his master's will. Looking at his master to see what, what you want me to do when he raises his hand or gives him a nod or if he's serving a table and the master looks and he knows he's to bring water or food. And so my greatness comes in serving others. I must put Christ first. It involves hardship. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. Now, I grew up in eastern Oregon, and I'm proud to say it's redneck country. My motto became, nobody's telling me what to do. And so this thing about being the slave on the bottom of a ship, pulling an oar all day long and listening to the cadence of the officer That's a little bit too much. After all, I have a will and I have feelings. I'm a person. And then he comes to verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to minister unto, but to minister. And to give his life a ransom for many. Go to Philippians chapter 2.
we're going to look at verse 5 through 9, but let me go back and say this. And he said, whosoever will be great. In our illustrations about associations, it's who you know, not what you know. Dictatorship and charismatic personality. That mostly focuses upon people and leadership in churches. But when he comes down to this thing about greatness, he says, whosoever. You can be great. It's not about the leadership in the pulpit. You can be great. An example of that is Christ. And he says in Philippians 2 and verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That verse is simply saying he was God. He didn't have to wrestle with the reality or convince people he's God. He was God. He's God. We may think that we cut a big swath and we're important and we're the main cog in the gears that this, this thing runs on. But he made himself of no reputation. He wasn't trying to win friends and influence people. But took upon himself, but took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. <laughs> How humbling for God to become a man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Low, low, low unto death. And not a natural death, not an accidental death, but one of the most undignified deaths was the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also have exalted him and given him a name above every name. And so he came as a servant. He humbled himself. He was obedient. He died for the world. He died a sinful death. But in the end, he was exalted. The command of this verse is let him, that is, let me, be the minister. Let me be the servant. Where's your mind at today? Are you wanting to be served? Or are you wanting to serve? Of course, I knew this lesson but I thought about, but I thought about who's the greatest Christian that I know. And I'm not going to say their name because of their greatness does not want to be recognized. 
We exalt preachers in the pulpit. They ought to be respected and honored because they're servants of the Lord. But men are just put in places they should never be. And I'm telling you, there'll be some great, great children of God who never once got any kind of recognition for anything. Because in the end, it's not what you say about me. It's not what my friends think about me. It's not what my preacher brethren say about my ministry. But it's what the king and his heavenly father, the heavenly father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, what they think. And he's told us today that greatness is going to come in saying no to self and serving others. It costs something. You have to suffer the death that Christ suffered. You have to drink that cup. You don't have to necessarily be crucified, but you're going to have to drink the cup, he said. It's going to cost something. The greatest crucifixion that takes place is going to have to be... Old Humphrey's going to have to be crucified. So... Go work on your serves. What? Right? You got fifteen minutes? Forty. No. No, you only got five minutes. All right. I'll get it back one of these days. You're dismissed.